Let's do it. Is it cherry back there? Is what? Is it cherry cocoa? Uh-huh. Cherry, can you close the door? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually see. Oh, look, you guys do have faces. Oh, wow. <laughs> can you... All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you all for getting up. Um, yeah. She said that it'll catch everything. Okay. Yeah, this session is being recorded. Um, I have in my little outline to a, a little panel here because it's the best presentation at AASLH. Not that my ego's talking, but um, I'm Bruce Whitmarsh from the Chemung County Historical Society, uh, Lindsay Baker from Laurel Historical Society, and Melissa Pricer from Dallas Heritage Village. Uh, we're here to talk to you today about some partnering, partnership things we have done. Uh, just quickly, uh, a short outline for how we hope our session progresses. Uh, we're going to go through and, and introduce ourselves and our institutions. Uh, then I have a handout for you talking about um, discussing some of the questions that we have come across uh, as we developed partnerships. Uh, we hope you guys walk away today with some good ideas about some other organizations in your hometowns to go back and approach uh, and work out, see if you can figure out some partnerships. Um, and then we're going to finish the day with some good and bad examples and some lessons learned of, of the actual partnerships we've done and the partnerships we have not done. So with that, <laughs> I'll turn it over to Lindsay. Hey, guys. So um, I'm from the Laurel Historical Society. Is anyone here from Maryland? Okay, great. We're located halfway between Baltimore and D.C. So if you're not from Maryland, that gives you a good visual of where we are. Um, we are in Prince George's County, which is the highest income majority black county in the country. Um, but we are at the, uh, the crossroads of four different counties, Prince George's County, Montgomery County, which is also a very, very wealthy county, Howard County, very, very wealthy county, and Anne Arundel County. Um, my organization is located on the Main Street. Um, it's not a super viable Main Street, I'll put it that way. Uh, and we are located on the residential end of it, so we're kind of off in the corner. I tell everyone, you know where Red Hot and Blue is, which is a restaurant everyone knows? Go buy that. Keep going. And they always say, but doesn't the road end? <laughs> no, it doesn't end for like three more blocks. Just keep going. Um, I am the only full-time staff member. I'm the executive director. I have a part-time assistant. We have about 60 to 80 volunteers, depending on how you count them, um, which is always fun. We have annually changing exhibits. You can see this first floor. Um, that's where our annually changing exhibits are. And the basement is a museum shop and a completely new um, children's area that we just opened last month. Um, we have about 30-plus programs a year, again, depending on how you count them and how the year went. And we have many partners. I put good and bad. Um, we'll talk about that later. So that's, that's my site. That's a real quick on my site. Um, like I said, Laurel, we're halfway between Baltimore and D.C. Great for football and baseball rivalries. Um, told you that. Told you that. Oh, the size. The city is incorporated. It's about 20,000 to 25,000. And the greater area is over 100,000. Over 30% of homes speak a language other than English at home, according to the 2010 census. Uh, I would say that it's not necessarily Spanish, 
which a lot of people would assume. We have a really large South Asian population, a really large African population, um, and a very large Spanish-speaking population from a lot of different countries. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> We're community leader. Uh, do you want to go back? Oh. Um. Okay, so we're generally well regarded by the community leaders. So I'll, I'll explain the quotes since you asked. Um, the community leaders being the city council, the mayor, they all really like us. But I think a lot of historical societies, you have that. You have um, kind of a, a wealth of people who believe in what you do. Um, and usually they are the people making um, the decisions in the town. But I wouldn't necessarily say that we're well regarded by everyone in the town because a lot of people, like I said, don't even know we exist. Um, and those are usually the people that aren't going to come into your museum and might not attend a program, but they're the people that you really need to work on your outreach with. So I always call them the community leaders, but um, I think there are a lot of community leaders that we might not even identify yet. All right. So this is my beautiful building in Elmira, New York. Um, we are in a rural part of New York. It's a wonderful old, so, as with so many of the other historical societies around the country, we are in, this happens to be an old bank building, the first building, bank building in the area, built in 1833, renovated a good number of times, um, still in very nice shape. And the first floor is the, we actually have four exhibit galleries, uh, the bank, the building, you're looking at the very front of it. It actually extends uh, about 150 feet back, so there's a lot more space than is um, sort of hits you off of this picture. Second floor is the administrative space. Third floor is storage. And the third floor is waiting for a good capital campaign. And, of course, that's all we need is money. Uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we've got some big plans for the, the, the building. So... Um, this is our, our mission, and I don't know if you can, let me just stand up for one second. I just wanted to give you a sense of where we are, because everybody thinks of New York as New York City, which, of course, is down here, and I'm up over here. So we really are, this is a very rural section of New York. Um, literally, Elmira is the big city in, for 50 miles. Um, we are... Uh, right next to us in Steuben County is uh, Corning, uh, Corning Incorporated Corning Museum of Glass. So we, we benefit from that. Um, but like I said, some um, statistics just, we, like I said, we are, we are really a very rural spot. Uh, we've been losing, like many other small cities, um, Shimon County and, and the city of Elmira has been losing residents for 50 years. Um, I grew up outside of Akron, Ohio. I watched that city empty out over my lifetime. Um, so we're, it's the same kind of Rust Belt industry, and, and they haven't quite figured out yet what should, should come next. We do have five full-time employees, including myself. Uh, our budget this year is just under $400,000. So we, um, for a relatively poor area of, of New York State, we, I think we, we do pretty well. So I am the executive director at Dallas Heritage Village. Uh, this is our grounds map. So we are located just south of downtown Dallas. Uh, one of our borders is an interstate. 
we have about 30 buildings that have been moved to historic parkland um, to tell the story of ordinary Texans from 1840 to 1910. So we have a really nice range of building styles and building periods to talk about. Our nonprofit is in a management agreement with the city of Dallas, so they own our buildings and the land, and we own everything inside of the buildings and operate the museum. They provide about 18% of our annual operating budget, and of course we have to figure out somehow how to get the other 82%. Um, so as I mentioned, we have a wide range of buildings, and we also have a lot of land, and this is kind of a key part of some of our partnerships. Um, we have 27 acres in total. The um, museum is really on about 13 acres, and then the other acres are parking, and we also have some vacant land, which means we can handle overflow parking, which makes us very attractive to some people. Um, our annual budget, I guess we're the big boys at the table, which is weird for me. Um, our annual budget is about $950,000 a year. We have four full-time staff and about 20 part-time staff. Of those 20, about half are our frontline staff and the other half are administrative staff. And there's some shots of some of our interiors. Um, for decades, we have been a virtual island. Remember that highway I mentioned? Downtown's right there and yet a lot of people don't consider us downtown because you have to cross the highway. Um, and we don't really have a lot of neighbors next to us. No one accidentally comes to Dallas Heritage Village. You just, you don't go, you know, drive by and go, what's that? No, you have to know that that's where you're going. Um, the interesting thing for us is the area is actually rapidly developing right now. Um, we are in the first residential neighborhood for the city and people are finally turning to that neighborhood and doing some really interesting things with some of the historic building stock that is there. So in a way, we are the next really cool hip area of Dallas and we're also the neighborhood's largest landowners. So there's some interesting opportunities that are popping up and of course that means our opportunities are also changing. So I think we'll just leave this slide up before we get to the next when we talk about specific programs. So, yeah. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so I've got a handout here. And like I said, it's got a list of questions that as we were developing this session, were kind of the questions we, we found we were asking ourselves individually as organizations uh, about our partners. And so these are not really in any particular order um, in terms of um, you know, we don't go through it like a checklist, one, two, three, four, but these are the, the, the issues and the things we wrestle with and we think about um, as we've put our partnerships together. Some of them are lessons learned uh, from partnerships that didn't go as we hoped. Uh, other ones are, I think, maybe just obvious. Um, um, do you want to run out? Oh, so... <laughs> And I'm, I'm sorry if we thank you. My eagle thanks you all for showing up, too. <laughs> if, if we've run out, I'm more than happy to, to you know, send this in, in an email to you. It's, it's a very short little thing. Um, so I'm sorry for, for not getting, bringing enough. Um, this is my, yeah. And, and maybe you can make a new friend. It's a partnership opportunity. There we go. <laughs> hey. It's 8.30 in the morning. I'm real proud of myself. <laughs>
So, so uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, really, I think you know one thing to keep in mind as we go through these questions: every partnership is different, and you can't necessarily judge all potential partnerships by the same metric. But it's always good to have a few general ideas as you go into those conversations um, before you get going, just to make sure that maybe this will work. Of course, sometimes um, you determine that your partner is crazy. And unfortunately, there is no good, solid, crazy test out there yet. I think if we were able to come up with that, um, the History Museum field would suddenly um, have all kinds of entrepreneurial opportunities. Um, but anyway, so just I, I think that's important to state up front. You can't judge every potential partner the same because there's going to be different factors. And that's why you really do need a, a pretty decent list of questions in your head about what is going to work for you. Because the most important thing in the partnership is protecting your institution. Also, you want to expand, but you don't want to put your institution at threat in any way, um, you know, as you're doing these partnerships. So. Okay. Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on quickly the, the kind of the why partnership, uh, why have partners, and I, I hope you've all thought of this, and I'm, I'm telling you what you already know, um, but really it's when it works, it's one of those where the, the sum is, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, where you get both organizations or all three or however big your partnership is, all get something more out of it than they would have by doing something on your own, um, and you have that greater impact. Um, plus, when it really works, it's a lot of fun to, you know, just you, you meet some good people and, and some other folks in, in your own community that maybe you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't otherwise know. So that's always fun, too, for at least for certainly for me. Um, and as we go through these questions here, too, I hope you're starting to think about groups you might want to approach or groups you know. Um, when we get to a little bit later, we're going to talk about some of our partnerships. And one of the things that we have experienced these partnerships by a bit of happenstance that because somebody, you know, we, there was a common volunteer, there was a common, you know, the, the other organization was across the street, um, uh, the, you know, whatever, they, the two people met at church but, and, and they were both, you know, different organizations, whatever. Um, keep your, you know, keep your mind open to where because they can come out of left field or they can be very formal that, you know what, I think I should partner with X. I'm going to call the executive director of organization X and, and see what we can do. Um, so the first one in my list, and again, not the official <laughs> list. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to sort of anybody think, uh, you know, these are it. Um, but obviously, are you complementary organizations? And I, and I do <clears throat> put it the no, A there is do we get along? Um, if you're going to do a partnership, you got to work together. And if you and your staff just personality-wise can't get along with the people of the staff of the other organization, no matter how perfect a partnership it might seem, it's, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> and it's just a recognition of, of all of us being human beings. You know, you put 100 people in a room, 100 strangers in a room, and there's going to be two people who just don't like each other because that's just the nature of being human. It happens with organizations, too, and we just need to recognize that. So do we get along is you know, kind of the first, um, the first question. The other, next one, then, how do we complement each other? 
in terms of, and, and this I'm, I'm looking at in terms of organizations. Um, you know, we do a lot of, uh, we do a lot of work at, at the Chemung County Historical Society with other small history museums, with other local museums, and it's great. But we're already history museums, and we have much the same audience, many of the same funders, many of the same goals. Um, you know, this is about partners we have found that are outside of that, that traditional field. So please stay with your traditional partners, build new partnerships with them, um, but also look outside because you're going to find, and certainly it's been our experience, uh, and that the other organizations are bringing skill sets you never expected. Um, in one of our partnerships, uh, our successful partnerships, we got a professional designer. Um, because they had on staff at the, at the other organization somebody who was a design professional. So when we had to have a website put up and a, a logo created, that all came with our partner at no cost to us. And it was professionally done. Um, so those, but that's not something you would ever have thought of, certainly not something I would have ever thought of in terms of you know, going through their staff list and saying, oh, designer, I'm going to hire, you know, let's go partner with them. It was you know, this was an organization we came together and said, let's see what we can do. And then also, the, the, I guess I'm getting at the, the complementary skills and resources. Uh, one of the other things in our successful partnership, um, which I'm deliberately being vague <laughs> because it's part of our fun, uh, we're going to talk about it, um, is that we provided space. And I, I, Melissa, you've talked about having space, too. Um, the other organization had cramped quarters. It, it served their everyday needs, but when they wanted to do something bigger, they didn't have a space to do the something bigger. We were a great space to do the something bigger. So we were able to provide them with space. They provided us with a designer, and um, it, was, it was a very you know, complimentary thing there. It worked, worked really well um, with things that perhaps were not immediately apparent right off the, right off the bat. Do you want, I'll take yeah. the next one. Um, so the next question was, do our co cooperative efforts support both missions? Um, how many of you guys have partnered with an organization that has a drastically different mission from what you do? Couple hands. Um, I, I'm presenting on something different about partnerships tomorrow. <laughs> and <laughs> we did the webinar yesterday, and one of, our, one of my co-speakers said, um, something about creating a shared mission for a partnership if you want to do a long-term partnership and uh, it was one of the few things that when we did the webinar that I hadn't heard you know how when you're you're up here you kind of just wing it sometimes and add stuff in when she said that I was like I need to remember to write that down because there are many organizations that I've partnered with that their mission is drastically different from mine um, but creating a shared mission on what we're working on together uh, seemed like a really great idea. Um, and what we're talking about with our question is, is it going to support your mission? Um, some of the partnerships we're, we're going to talk about later um, are with organizations that are very different from yours. And I think that sometimes we have that mission creep because we see an audience we need to reach or we see um, a space we want to we want to be in and we ha let that mission creep happen a little bit everyone knows what I I mean when I say mission creep right okay nas yes so we kind of are like oh maybe it's kind for us it's uh, our mission is the cultural heritage and history of Laurel 
we could mission creep all day with that <laughs> mission statement, which is part of the reason I haven't really pushed hard to change it, um, because it allows us to be flexible, but it also lets us uh, creep a little bit when we want to do partnerships. But I would say I would warn against doing too much of that. Um, the next question we have, and I'll go to uh, four, and okay, then you can I'll take five you. and six. Um, the next question we have are, are we both committed to helping the other? Um, I'm sure you've all, if you've done partnerships, had situations. Um, we have a museum across town. Before I started in Laurel, the two would never speak. I mean, they, I think they looked at each other as like arch enemies, which is stupid, right? I mean, that's not useful to anyone. It's not useful to the community. It's not useful to either organization. So we've started to work together. But what I've found is that it's very much like this is what we can do, and that's it. So they identify the X of what they can do, and I identify the Y of what I can do. And when the middle needs to be done, um, they don't really budge much on that. And so it makes me feel like, well, I'm not going to... I'm not going to pick up the slack every time, um, but I've found that when you're working with a partner where it's going to work out long term, you're committed to helping each other. You're committed to picking up that slack in the middle, and you need both organizations to be that way. Um, and also to understand when they simply don't have the resources. There's a difference between not having the resources and not wanting to do it. And I think we all know that. When you sit across the table from somebody and you can tell they're just not going to do it, um, just because they simply don't feel like they should have to. Uh, so I find that the best partnerships I have, I know that the person across the table is committed to helping um, make this happen and helping my organization. Can I just cut in there sure. with, with a, uh, a thing about the resources? Um, I mentioned we're down, the, we're 15 miles from the Corning Museum of Glass, which is a, a huge organization. They just did a $65 million expansion. Go visit. It's a beautiful museum. It's, a, it's really well done. Stop by his museum. And, and then come see my museum as well. Um, but it's one of the, we do things with the Corning Museum of Glass, and they have 30 people in their education department. You know, I've got one educator, <laughs> and, and she, I, I, could, I could use 30. I just don't have the budget. So when we do things with, with the Corning Museum of Glass, they will recognize that we have one staff person who does everything, and they have a large number. So in, in those you know, they might dedicate two or three people, and at the end of the project, they may have done 80% of the work. But we contributed 100% of, of the resources we had available to contribute. They contributed 100% of the resources they had available. And just the natural size difference led to them taking on more. They understood that. It worked out great. And it's, it's an ongoing, ongoing partnership. And not one of the ones I was going to talk about. <laughs> and you, you mentioned earlier that you partner a lot with smaller museums, and I'm sure it's the same situation then. You might be As, actually yeah. contributing 80% of the resources, but you're still contributing 100% of what you can, and they're still contributing 100% of what they can. Yes, yeah, that's true. So um, number four is, do we reach different audiences? Are we likely to expose new people to each other? Um, most of us partner with other museums in town, but most of us have the same audience, right? Like older, white, wealthier people. That's museum audiences, right? I mean, that's who we all have coming into our spaces usually. Um, so finding a partner that can reach a different audience, obviously, that, I think that's a lot of the reasons we partner, right, is to find a new group of people. I know um, I met with a historic site across town that we had never partnered with. I attended their... Um, they actually had the absolute best public history program I've ever been to, and they are mostly used as a rental site. 
So their staff presents one public history program a year, and that's their black history program. Um, the first one that I went to, people were crying in the program. Um, they were emotionally invested in what was happening. So I went up to them afterwards, and I was like, I need to talk to you. I'm like, <laughs> I think we should partner. <laughs> um, and so we sat down and we had a conversation, and we talked about how we were both trying to reach that 20 to 40 age group, you know, the the elusive <laughs> age group that we're all trying to reach. And so we decided to partner on a series of wine tastings. And that's been happening for three years now. Um, and it's funny because the audience we thought we were going to get is not who we got at all. Not at all. <laughs> it was mostly the, the average audience that we get at these wine tastings is consistently about 30 to 60-year-old black women. And it's great. That's, that's a different audience than we normally get. And then it's so funny because their staff is black. And so whenever a white person shows up, they're like, so you know them? And I do. They're almost always from the historical society. <laughs> they are almost always from the historical society. And I'm like, yes, that's my board member. Or that's my volunteer. Or that's someone that got, I know they're on our list. So um, <laughs> we're definitely reaching different audiences with each other. And it's funny because as an organization that typically, typically has you know, white audience members, I'm so happy to have some contact with you know, 30 to 50 year old black women or 30 to 60 year old black women. And they're so happy when they get the old white people in. So we're, <laughs> we're really complimenting each other with that partnership and I think it's helped us go long term with it. So on money, because here's the thing, I know that in the past sometimes my organization would think, you know what, our space is free. We can do blah, blah, blah for not a lot of money. Um, we've changed that a little bit, again, because you've got to look at that balance. So if there are any costs that, as far as staffing costs, the setup fees, things like that, that goes into our hopper as far as this is what this is costing us, this is what's costing you. And often what we'll do with partners is make sure everybody submits their expenses and then split the proceeds. And sometimes we may get a smaller share of that depending on how all, but I think that the key is don't have a do all, be all, this is the rule on how we divide up money because these programs do cost money. I think sometimes in that, in that desire to have um, a new audience, we may end up costing our organizations money that perhaps is not the best use of resources. So that's just one really big um, thing to think about as you're, as you're looking at budgets because these partnerships do cost something. They cost staff time, they cost your space, they cost setup time, all that good stuff. And really in a way this, this goes into strategies for when partnerships don't work. Sometimes it's the personality issue um, and it's hard to tell people that they're crazy. Um, <laughs> Can you tell one of my examples might involve crazy people? Um, or I have lots of stories that aren't even being mentioned that involve crazy people. But um, anyway, you can't tell them they're crazy. But what you can do is if it looks like that partnership is inequitable for some reason, the financial agreement can change. So we certainly have had, and I'll go into more details on this, like we have certainly had moments where it's like, okay, we were going to be partnering on this. You're clearly not a partner, so now you're a rental client. And the price goes up when you're a rental client because that's the way it works. And you know what? Sometimes I can't make math work. And then the partnership ends, and it's not you that said no. 
it's the math that said no. And so I think that's something to think about as you're looking at these partners. This is a business agreement also. This is not just a warm, fuzzy, let's work together and reach these new audiences. Sometimes it's a business agreement. And you've got the potential to make some additional funds for your organization and the other organization. But if that part isn't working and it's not fully supporting your mission, then maybe you need to rethink. Um, I think wrap-up meetings with the partners are really important. Um, and, and having those times to say what worked and what didn't work. Um, some relationships cannot be saved. There was that old column back in the day on Ladies Home Journal, can this marriage be saved? Sometimes it can't. Um, and I think that's the other thing. Sometimes we try too hard to make these partnerships work because maybe that audience is just so desirable. But if it's killing your staff, you know, that's the other job, especially for those of you that are directors in the room, part of your job is to protect your staff. And so if the partnership is running the staff ragged, it's your job to step in and protect them. So, you know, that's just a few comments on how you assess later. And you're gonna know if the partnership worked or not um, just by looking at everything very easily. I mean, I trust all of you to know that, but, you know, there are various strategies, but those, those wrap-up meetings and just looking at the numbers, and if the numbers aren't working based on the, the, what you've actually done as a, a human being together, it's okay to start treating them like a rental client. Yeah, I, we have about 500 square feet, <laughs> and so we are not, uh, that's open to the public, so we are not going to be used as a rental space, but we definitely have had a partnership with the theater in town. Um, we have two theaters, one's a professional and one's um, you know, community theater. And the professional theater is a woman who consistently feels like she's undervalued in the community. And I get along with her very well, um, you know, listen to her uh, talk about these issues. And we've partnered before, but we had one partnership um, where we did like a dinner in the museum and then we went to the theater for a play afterwards. We brought a group. And so uh, the next round when we went to do it, she wanted to change how the money was divvied up. Um, and looking at the, at the actual, I mean, it was one of the first times for a partnership I actually like wrote out, how many hours is this taking me? Um, how many hours is this taking my assistant? Because we were literally serving the food. I mean, like, <laughs> we don't have people there to serve the food. We were doing everything um, in that portion. And it wasn't worth it. And I had to tell her, look, this just doesn't make sense. And I, I sent her the numbers. And we decided not to move forward with it. And it was, it was a little awkward because, you know, we've become friends. You become friends when you're in this small community, right? And I didn't want to upset her because I know she's easily upset, but I actually did the math and had those numbers in front of me, and that helped a lot, I think. So are we ready to talk about our partnerships? Um, I had a question. Uh, does anyone have a question or something that they consider when they're considering a partnership that's not on this list? She said their reputation, if you guys didn't hear it, um, consider their reputation in the, in the town. Do you guys, I have an example of that. Do you guys have an example of that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of just stay like, ah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's both reputation and community standing, but I think it's also like professional reputation. I mean, every town has those groups that you know 
you probably will get in a mess if you end up working with them. And so I think there's, there are certain organizations that we are very cautious about working with because we've heard enough. You know, gossip is a powerful thing and it's very useful. And I think that reputation, but, and it's both the reputation in the community, but it's also their professional reputation. Are they going to do what they say that they're going to do? And sometimes reputation will help answer that question. Is there anything else anyone considers? I try to consider what is it that I can offer that um, I'm new to my job, new to the town, so I'm still learning a lot of things, but the, the I think there's this general impression that you're the museum, people go to you for tours, and, and there's, there isn't much that we can offer, and I don't want to be a taker, I want to be a giver, so what can I give to you that and I don't know the answer, but that's something that's always in my brain when I'm thinking of who can I partner with is what can I do for you, not just what can you do for me. Yeah, I think you guys were talking about the space that you have to offer. I, when I start conversations with a potential partner, I try to like break open the box of what they're thinking. Because what they always think is, well, we don't really want to do a tour. Mm -hmm. Or like, we don't really like need an exhibit about our organization. And so I try to break that open and say like, these are the variety of things that we've done. These are our resources and these are our goals. This is our mission, these are our goals. So anything we can do using those things, we'll do. So like for the wine tastings, I go up and do like a song and dance. I change it up every time, but I've done history trivia, like in the middle of a wine tasting. I even went in and had them, um, they have local artists on the walls in this historic site. And I had, we were testing out a new um, outreach thing and I had all of the, the people at the wine tasting create labels on post-its and um, like re, uh, redo the whole exhibit space like with their own labels. And that was something that me and the partner were sitting there and I was like, I don't know, I mean this is something we're trying with the kids. Do you wanna do it with the people while they're drinking wine? She was like, all right, sure. And, you know, we, we give away, we, we buy bottles of wine and give them away to the people as prizes for participating. But it was definitely, like, one of those outside-of-the-box things, like, no, we don't want to, like, steal the people from the wine tasting and take them over to our museum. We want to be in your space doing something different. Any other? Did you have one? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're ready to talk about some actual partnerships. So I'm starting. You're okay. Starting. You're All right. Yeah. So um, should I start with the success? You guys want to no, hear the successful? What, what way I was going to do it oh, was okay. to do, present the two partnerships and let the audience decide. Oh, which one was successful. Which, yeah. okay. So like, don't don't show so your. So I won't tell you which one was successful. Um, okay. So uh, the first partnership scenario. Um, <laughs> is uh, there is a group called Side by Side in Laurel, Juntos de Juntos, and it is a group that works with the local elementary schools. It was um, 
It's a 501c3. They do awesome fundraising. If you like to cheat off of people's fundraisers, Google side-by-side -side Laurel. Get on their email <laughs> list and cheat off of their fundraising because they do great, really unique stuff, and I can't really cheat because they're in Laurel. Um, <laughs> so what they do is they've identified that they want to help Laurel schools. And so it's all these volunteers from a bunch of different churches, and they provide kind of like a a go-between for the teachers and the parents. And so they have workshops once a week at an elementary school in Laurel. Um, and I, I said their name in Spanish because Laurel has a very large uh, Spanish-speaking population, so they provide programming in Spanish and in English. Um, and their director is, well, I think he's technically their director. He's one of the founding people. He and I have coffee often in town and we talk about what they're doing what we're doing we compare notes about our boards our volunteers stuff like that um i tell him his fundraising is amazing and uh i realize that they have an audience that we would really like to serve in some way they have tapped into that family age where it's people with kids that might not have the time to go to the museums i know we're probably you guys all identify with me when i say it's very difficult to get a field trip to come to your museum. Um, so I had a conversation with him, and like in my head, I was like, oh my God, it would be so awesome if we did like the Tenement Museum and did like English language classes. But I was trying not to push it in that direction because I wanted to see what made sense for him. Um, but I think I did push it in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up working with them, and what we would do is um, we would go to their evenings at the elementary school and some of the parents would go into for example a session about bullying or a session about a particular you know math problem or like how to help their kids with this math class or this reading <clears throat> class and then some would come to us <clears throat> and we would help uh, teach teach English to them and so I am lucky enough that I play a lot of soccer and so I have a lot of friends that speak Spanish. So that's how I was able to work um, with them and I just brought my friends there and we, we were teaching English language classes. So that's one partnership. The second partnership was with um, Laurel Advocacy and Referral Services which usually works with um, low income or people without homes in Laurel. We have a pretty significant population of that in Laurel. And every year they would do a race, a 5K, through Laurel, through the historic part of Laurel. And so I met with their director. It's that same conversation I always have. You know, what do you guys have going on? What can we contribute? You know, how can we help out? How can we partner? And what we decided would work well is to do, um, they have a one mile. You know, a lot of 5Ks have like a one mile thing. So we decided to do um, a one mile history walk. And so the walk was, uh, you know, almost the same route, but trying to avoid the runners and stay out of their way. And we put up almost like yard sale signs, but just stuck them in people's yards. And they were on our walking tour already. So we just put the text on that sign and stuck it in and had a guide at the beginning and a guide at the end. Um, and we would guide the walking tour through the one mile of the historic district. Is that a good summary? Yes. Do we want them to guess now? Yeah. Okay. Which, which one is the good okay. partnership and which okay. one is the bad? So if you think side-by-side side was a successful partnership, raise your hand. If you think the Lars partnership was the successful one. So we're about split. Good. I have a good, I have a good poker face. Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily say either of them was super successful, but we're continuing with the Lars partnership. Um, the side-by-side -side thing, what we realized, it was great in theory. I mean, it was my, came out of my mind, so <laughs> I thought it was a wonderful idea. Um, but uh, what ended up happening is then the parents felt like they couldn't attend the stuff they needed to for their kids. So, like, instead of being able to go to a bullying session or how to help your kid with math, they had to come into our little group and work on their English. And I think some of them liked it, but they did not want to have to choose between one or the other. Um, so we ended up ending that partnership, which, you know, it was like a dream for me that we would do that, but it, we ended that one. So you mentioned that the, the director of the leader of Side by Side, it was his initiative, uh, brainchild, whatever. I was curious if there was some tension with that because this is his thing and I didn't know if maybe he, when someone has that much interest in something and it's theirs, they created it, sometimes it's hard for them to let go and, and work with others, so I didn't know if there was any issues with that. Yeah, I, and I, would, I could identify probably five other partnerships off the top of my head where that's an issue. It wasn't with him. He, he's, he's a great guy. He's a former editor of the local newspaper. Um, and I think it comes down to that, do you get along? He, he and I have a really good like working relationship. And it never ended up being an issue. There were definitely volunteers. Because every um, workshop that they had, there was like one church identified. And they all came and they served dinner. And they would you know babysit the kids while, while the parents went into different sessions. Um, and there were definitely volunteers that were like, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And um, I made sure I have a Laurel Historical Society t-shirt. I have like five of them. And I made sure that I wore it every single time so that they knew who I was. Um, but they definitely were a little, they were more like that than he was. Like, who are you and why are you here? Um, so yeah, it was a Lars one that still stuck around. The only problem is the first time we did it, and I will say if you decide to cheat off this idea, it's a great idea, I think it works well, um, get more than one person. Because what I did was it was just me, because I, I also should mention the race is on Thanksgiving Day. So it's called the turkey trot, and I did not want to ask any of my volunteers to volunteer to do this walking tour on Thanksgiving. I felt like that was too much. So I was like, I'll do it alone. So, uh, yeah, so walkers. it was not a partnership on, on your no, side? No, my volunteers, I was like, I'm going to take this hit by myself. Um, but uh, walkers walk at different speeds, surprising to know. Um, and so what I did for the whole one mile was um, I, would, I started at one site, and then I let everyone pass me, and I did my little, like, this, this, this is a historic house. And then I ran to the next site, and I let everyone pass me again, and then I ran to the next site and let everyone pass me again. Um, so that didn't work out too well. So <laughs> from then on, we had one at, the, one at the start and one at the end. So if you decide to copy off that, uh, let me give you that little tidbit. All right. Are you ready to do your Sure, news? sure. Um, so my two examples... Um, the SPCA at the Shimon County SPCA came to me, or actually didn't come to us, we went to them. Um, that is my entire education staff and my entire curatorial staff. Um, on the left is, is my educator, and she also volunteers at the SPCA. So this is one of those happenstance um, intersections. Uh, 
she was volunteering there and said, hey, let's, uh, can we do something? They've got this space at the SPCA. Can we put up an exhibit? Um, can we do some events together? I said, sure, let's investigate this, see where it goes, see what happens. Um, the other one, I'm going to just stop right here. The other one, I don't have pictures of. We were approached by a um, local organization that does after-school enrichment in STEM. And they had been at another museum that was sort of out in the, uh, out of the city, uh, out near our airport, uh, and they had outgrown that space. They had been successful, and they were looking for a downtown space because they served a lot of kids that were in the Elmira City School District. A lot of those kids, it was difficult to get to this other space that was uh, further out, uh, out of town. We're right downtown Elmira. Uh, we have a classroom space. Um, they were looking for, um, you know, somewhere we could, where they could hold their classrooms, really. So, but they wanted us to partner with them uh, to help fundraise, to help do some other things. Um, and we've, we've done some things, uh, you know, like that with, uh, you know, fundraising back and forth. Um, so it wasn't outside of our, our uh, comfort zone. Um, I think it's, I've kind of given it away, though. I, I have pictures of the SPCA. I don't have pictures of the STEM program. <laughs> which one do you think which is successful? One do you think? <laughs> and actually, it's kind of funny. that they, So we did not end up with the doing. Do you, do you want me to just the Yeah, we can go through the, um, this program, Catch Dravaganza. And we do, in the spring, we do Catch Dravaganza. In the fall, we do Dogapalooza. We actually have Dogapalooza coming up in just a couple weeks. So when you come up to Elmira next weekend, you can come to Dogapalooza. Um, this is where we benefited from space. The exhibit at the uh, SBCA, we produce, and they, they give us their lobby. They said, wonderful, put something there. They had a blank wall they didn't know what to do with. Now we put exhibits up there twice a year. Um, they are animal-themed exhibits, keeping with the SPCA, uh, but they are animal-themed exhibits uh, about Elmira and Shimon County history. So uh, the exhibit that actually was going to be installed is in now installed. Um, we're about Shimon County mascots, animal mascots through time. Uh, different organizations had animal mascots. The other thing, of course, is it's People are sitting at the SBCA in their lobby, and they're seeing one of our exhibits. Folks who have never had any thought of walking into my building to see an exhibit are now seeing one of my exhibits produced by my very capable staff. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And then the using our space, these uh, the two events, Catch Stravaganza and Dogapalooza, you can see, and there's Dogapalooza. They're very similar in that we, um, we you know, one is cat-themed, one is dog-themed. Um, SPCA does bring critters. We have, a, we have a space, and they give away critters at, at, their, at, at those two events or, or what, begin they their process. Critters, yeah, critters, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just pass them out as a door prize. But, um, but then you can see we have activities for the kids. We, we've done stuff online. Um, we've done stuff with, with social media. Um, so it's been a good partnership in, in that regard. And even my curator has not been too freaked out about having animals in the exhibit galleries. 
Um, sometimes those are the things you have to do as a curator at a small museum. <laughs> <laughs> and I, in this, the, the lower picture there, uh, you can see in the back a, a bunch of little um, like postcards. Through the connection of the SPCA, we got to the Elmira City School art teachers. Every single elementary student, K through six, did some kind of little art project on that four by six postcard. And that was one of the things that the SPCA brought to us was that connection. We've now maintained that connection with the, uh, with the city school art teachers and we do our own stuff with them, but that came because of uh, the connection with the SPCA. SPCA was also the, they had the professional designer on staff I mentioned earlier. The other, I don't know if I have some other. That's your, that's that, me next. Okay. And I just want to mention um, the, the partnership that did not work. Part of the problem, they were not their own 501c3. They wanted us to manage their money. And they kept, they kept trying to tell us, oh, we're bringing, you know, $50,000. They did have some money. But they wanted us to put it into our bank account. They wanted us to write the checks. And then they were, they were balking at the whole idea of we should get a management fee. And it, it took my board of, of about, you know, half a second to say that's a whole bunch of nonsense. We're not doing this. Um, ironically, the, the org that STEM organization did end up going to our local YWCA, which is literally around the corner and half a block. So this past spring, they did a spring break program. And they, they, we had a little exhibit in our lobby that came from that program. So we, we ended up doing a partnership with them, but not the original one uh, envisioned. All right. Are you ready to play a game again? Because I think I can do this and not give it away. All right. So partnership opportunity one, a steampunk organization wants to work with us on a public-private multi-day event. Um, it is a combination of rental and partner events, so our costs will be covered no matter what. Attendance estimates from them are in the thousands, and we can't accommodate that many people. So there's also the potential to make a lot of money at a time of year where there is not a lot of cash coming into our door because it's the end of our fiscal year. Um, part of our role is to create kid-friendly activities because a lot of families do steampunk things, and the steampunk people said, you know, we're not really that good at doing family-friendly stuff. We are good at family friendly. Um, we will assist with marketing, but the bulk of the marketing is going to follow them because obviously we do not have a lot of connections in the steampunk community. You guys don't know steampunk? You're historians. Come on. So, steampunk, think Jules Verne. It's like sci fi and history together. It's like Will Smith's Wild Wild West. Yeah. So, so anything, yes. it's all steam powered, but it's like sci fi ish. It's alternative history. So, I mean, some of you in the room may be going, oh my God, you never should have let these people walk <laughs> Which, that's a whole other thing, is, is one of my soapboxes. Sometimes you have to be open to these unusual ways of looking at history um, to bring a new audience. Anyway, so again, there's, and it's a time of year where there's just not much going on at the museum because it's September. It is often still warm in September in Texas. So... We are good to go, and there's not a lot of competition on our schedule with rental events, so we're not losing any income because there is no income in September. So that's partnership opportunity number one. So partnership opportunity two is a nonprofit providing childcare to homeless children moves in across the street. So they come to us, and they would like to do regular 
specialized field trips and programs to Dallas Heritage Village. There is no real funding tied to this for either entity. They're not going to be paying us for these field trips. Oh, and by the way, the first field trips will be in like three weeks. <laughs> so those are my two partnership opportunities. Any ideas on which, were, which one was more successful and continues to this day? So partnership opportunity number one, raise your hand. All right, partnership opportunity number two. Also split. Yeah. All right. So we are able, the, the pictures help because we did do the steampunk thing. So, oh, I forgot this. There's my cute little slide about which one won. Okay. So steampunk invasion. Let's talk about that. So it was a two-day event. It was Friday night and then Saturday all day. The evenings had concerts that were steampunk bands, which I didn't know there were steampunk bands, but there are. See, you guys are learning so much. Um, so the enemies had concerts, and they also wanted to sell alcohol, because for some reason people that dress in crazy costumes like to drink. Um, participants could either buy tickets for the daytime, the public part of the event, which was through us, and we kept all of those proceeds, or for the entire weekend. And so they kept all of those proceeds. They also paid us a reduced rental fee, because there was extensive setup. So we said yes to this idea because there appeared to be a lot of revenue potential. And we also thought this would definitely expose us to some new audiences. These were people that obviously liked history, but they may not like a traditional history museum experience. Um, we really, really enjoyed seeing all of the creativity. I mean, it, the people watching, let me tell you, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, it was just a great day to be at the museum. However, ultimately, it was an absolute and total disaster. Um, we lost money on the evening portion of the event and almost lost a budding relationship with a new restaurant in town because they overbought alcohol. Um, the issues with alcohol sales at this event could be an entirely other presentation, mainly because the partner wouldn't budge or adapt to various permitting issues. They were very insistent on what they wanted. They're like, we can do this for a lot less money. They're like, no, we have to. And because we're so big, there's rules about where you can, anyway, that's a whole other issue. Um, attendance for the evening portion of the event was about 100 people. Attendance for the day, Saturday, was about 300, so thousands to not thousands. Um, the partners were not at all open with attendance projections. We kept asking them how registration was looking and they did not keep us updated and insisted that we continue planning for the thousands that were sure to buy a ticket at the last minute. Um, obviously that didn't happen. Promises to get us information or photos for marketing were not fulfilled. What we could do to promote the public portion of the event was limited because we kept asking questions. They were not answering the questions and we're not going to put anything out there that we can't back up media-wise. Um, partners also, this was fun, tried their best to get around property restrictions, even though they actively promoted how this event was going to support the organization. My favorite is um, the, the lead guy, and I can't even remember his name at this point, <laughs> said casually to, to somebody in my educators overheard, there was going to be a fire eater on Main Street. Um, our main street has a wooden boardwalk and there's trees overhead, so for some reason we really didn't like the idea of fire <laughs> um, on Main Street. And so when our, their primary contact, our sales director, said, hey, I hear you're going to do this, please don't do that. And he's like, oh no, we're not going to do that, blah, blah, blah. 
And then first thing Saturday morning, the fire eater is out, and all of a sudden you see all these staff members like converging onto Main Street mm -hmm. to stop, and you see the, the, the organizer on the steampunk side do one of these numbers, and you're like, no, dude, that's just not gonna engender a sense of trust um, with that. The partners also, did they had vendors also, and they didn't communicate well with those vendors, and of course we had no information. And so the vendors kept asking us questions. We could not answer the questions. So the vendors were, of course, upset with staff. That's never good. So anyway, so the first moral of the story is you can't force information out of a partner if they're not willing to share it. Of course, you can't see this in advance. Again, that crazy meter crystal ball does not always work. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about how we ended this partnership, because they really wanted to come back. Um, the people that did come thought this was the perfect venue. Obviously, if you're going to spend that much time and energy on an outfit, you're going to want to take a lot of pictures. We are a very picturesque place. We're the right time period. They really wanted to come back. Everybody really had issues with that main organizer, and he actually ended up being kicked out of the steampunk group. So it wasn't just us. Um, but we were still very, very cautious about continuing. So we had already decided that we were going to shift this from a, being a partner event to more like a rental event. We would still give them a discount, but the price was going to go up significantly. Um, they also wanted more time to do it again. And, we, and at that point, we're like, we can't give you even more time and, and keep it at the same price. I mean, that's just not going to work because the setup is the same. Um, so the price went up a lot and because um, they wanted to also close the museum. So they did not want it to be a public event. So we had, they wanted us to close the, the museum for an entire weekend. And we're like, that's going to cost you to do that, even though our attendance is very low in September. So... We really did have a feeling that it would be absolutely impossible for them to be able to afford coming. So they asked us permission to try to sell a set number of tickets by a deadline before they signed a contract. And this was in the spring. Um, and so we said, okay, you've got until this date. They did a few things on social media. They didn't come anywhere close to what their goal was. And so the event was canceled. And we watched social media very closely because I did see that there was a potential for all kinds of things being said about us and how we're so mean to not let them come back. No one blamed us, which was amazing, for not hosting the event again. So having it be a business decision really made, it's a much less assailable position than a just you're crazy um, <laughs> position, but they were in fact crazy. So let, let me talk a little bit about what we gained because even the worst partnerships, you're going to get something out of it. So we made some new friends. These are Victorian Fencing Society. We didn't know existed in Dallas. And they've come back to other events and do really fun demonstrations, and it's just really cool. Um, locals saw the museum differently. I mean, we did get some media play of this, not a lot. But they were like, huh, that's kind of fun. So it's always good, I think, to occasionally have history be considered fun because frequently people don't think we're fun. Um, and then we also were inspired to create our own children's book featuring a staff member's dogs and a steampunk-themed story. Yes, our curator allowed dogs <laughs> behind the barriers, and we took fabulous photos, and I just, I think that is the cutest thing ever. There's lots of cute photos. Um, While well, Maxwell and Oliver visit the moon, it's not a runaway bestseller, but it's pretty amazing. And like, Jada really wants to do more, and we'll see about that, because that took up a lot of staff time just to 
do that, but we had a lot of fun doing it. Um, so I want to talk briefly about lessons learned from this event. So obviously trust your instincts. Um, in the final months leading up to the event, we kind of knew that they weren't going to be meeting those amazing attendance projections of you know 2,000 people. So though they weren't listening to us, we still scaled back where we could on our end to just make sure that we weren't over overdoing and preparing and all that kind of stuff. Um, find additional allies sometimes. We were really lucky that one of our volunteer photographers is also loosely affiliated with this group. So we were able to ask him questions and he also kept his ears open to find out what was going on with the dynamics of the group so that we could um, just make sure we knew the full picture because it became very clear that, that our main contact was not telling us the entire story. Um, this is really important. Follow your partners on social media because sometimes you see things that they don't bother to tell you. My favorite example, this is from another partnership that ended not great where we, they had gone ahead and said, yes, we're doing this again. We were very excited. We had a date set aside for them and I found out via social media that they were moving it to the Dallas Arts District. I was not amused. I'm still a little bitter actually <laughs> about that. Um, so yeah, follow them on social media because sometimes they won't tell you things and that's how you're gonna figure it out. And then it's okay to occasionally do non-traditional history. Um, as I said earlier, some of you may be absolutely horrified that we even allow these people to set foot on our grounds. Hopefully that's not the way you feel, but I know that I had some conversations with some Texas colleagues that were just, you're letting them, but it's not right. The history isn't right. I'm like, it's one day and then they're gonna go home. It'll be fine. Um, we really did love seeing the creativity um, but we are also prepared to do that kind of stretch because we've do, been doing some kind of unusual things for a long time. So this was not one of those cases where we had to fight with the curator to allow these people to come on, come in and like reinterpret our museum a little bit. So there really wasn't any pushback from traditional sources of pushback on non-traditional history such as board members or curators because we all like to make fun of our curators, right? I'm sure there's <laughs> curators in the room. Um, so the successful partnership is Vogel Alcove. So we had actually worked with them for a long time. They had originally been um, in the neighborhood but several blocks away and we provided a free space for them to do Easter egg hunts because they didn't have land to do an Easter egg hunt. So when they announced that they were moving across the street, I immediately reached out to their executive director, Karen. Now they came into a school building that Dallas ISD had closed in 2012. So we were thrilled just to have something in that giant building directly across the street from our main entrance. Um, so that alone was great, but knowing that it was gonna be a strong nonprofit was even better. So during that very first lunch, I told Karen to please look at the village as an extension of their classroom. So we were invited to the groundbreaking I made sure to touch base with Karen regularly throughout construction. And then about six months after they moved in, Katie, another staff member, contacted us about field trips. So the really cool thing is we already knew Katie because her daughter had been one of our junior historians and she had actually learned about Vogel moving into City Park Elementary through one of our blog posts that was talking about how excited we were to have a new neighbor. So because she already knew us, we didn't have to spend a lot of time discussing what we could offer to these children and how we are already very preschool friendly. Um, we were able to get going almost immediately. It wasn't a big deal at all. Um, I should also emphasize that part of the reason why this partnership works is location. 
They don't have to worry about transportation to the museum. They hold hands and look both ways and cross the street. Um, so they're able to visit really often. So the first field trip was in June of 2014. Um, Vogel staff comes to us with ideas that fit with whatever they're doing in their curriculum. And then we work together to come up with the best plan. Sometimes we have to say, no, that's not gonna work, but what about this? We've had about 10 official organized field trips to special activities. Some were scheduled this past spring, but I don't know if you heard, Dallas had record um, <laughs> rain this spring. So for some reason, some of those got rained out. Uh, we have 16 on the calendars for the next school year. Uh, we try to also time them for things when the museum isn't crowded, and so we, with field trips of older kids. So they wanted to come in May. We said, you know, we have 700 fourth graders here. Maybe you don't want to come on that day. And they're like, okay. So there's that communication <laughs> happening so that it's the best experience possible for the kiddos, as well as works with the rest of the things that are going on at the, at the museum. So they also, um, some classes are doing almost daily visits over to just walk the grounds, especially the itty bitties. These are, pre, these are six weeks to five year old kids. So they come in those big strollers where there's like six kids in a stroller. And you know, it's a safe place to walk around. Um, some highlights from our perspective are, they do a 4th of July parade down our main street where they create their own little noisemakers and they're, they're all decorated. They decorate the strollers and it's just adorable. Um, they help us decorate a Christmas tree for candlelight, which is our biggest event of the year. And of course, we have donkeys at our museum, and so obviously they visit Nip and Tuck every time they come over, and that's just adorable. The kids, we had one little boy that all he wanted for his birthday was a birthday party at the museum. So, how the partnership actually continues and develops, there's the 4th of July parade. Um, so we are actually working together in large and small ways. I mean, the field trip thing was what I wanted to highlight today, but there's other things that we're doing, and it really is multiple levels with our two organizations. So a few highlights. Um, we share parking. That's always a good thing to do. We have, um, actually, one of these staff members has just recently left our organization, but at one point we had two full-time staff members from DHV regularly volunteering at Vogel Alcove. We are in each other's disaster plans. They have a basement. It's good because we, we're wooden buildings. Um, we've given them mulch for their teaching garden. They supported our fundraiser. They volunteered at Candlelight. Some of their staff volunteered at Candlelight. And of course, the kids decorated a tree. For their annual awards luncheon at the end of October, they actually created a brand new award just for us, the Community Partner Award. Some classes, of course, do come over daily just for some outside time. They have a really awesome playground, but there's not a lot of grass. Um, we're also actually, and it's funny to say this with Steve in the back corner, we're all currently working on an IMLS Community Anchors Grant for this partnership to turn one currently empty building into a preschool play space. Um, something we've wanted to do for a long time, but we haven't had the right partners. And so we're going to work together, and that will be their home base when they come over to the museum. But then we'll also be able to use it for our family visitors that are here on the weekend. Um, we're planning to also include some evaluation funds to talk more with the field, would be you guys, about preschoolers at history museums, because I feel like, in general, we do a lousy job at reaching out to preschoolers, um, whether they're homeless or not. So let me talk about what we've gained. So. 
warm fuzzies. These kids are freaking adorable. Um, and they're just so excited to be at the museum. It's such a different kind of environment for them. I and mean, these are kids that are going through all kinds of trauma. Um, so we're a safe place. Um, you know, I'm a former educator, so that's part of the reason why my heart is really with this partnership. But, you know, they really do love coming to the museum and their joy is just infectious. Um, and again, we are another safe place for these children that are going through a really rough time in their life. Um, we're also a place looking long-term that I think these kids could come back to and still feel comfortable in a way they might not be able to come back to Vogel. Um, some kids just can't think about that period in their lives, but you know, that's a gap if they're homeless, but maybe they'll be able to come back to Dallas Heritage Village and, and remember that. Um, so they're also a powerful advocate. We've had, we're in an interesting neighborhood. Um, we've had some increasing issues with some service resistant homeless in our neighborhood, which is again, an entirely different session topic, um, or maybe something to be talked about over drinks. Um, because Karen though is part of that world, the homeless service world, and that network, she's able to provide some guidance to us on who to talk to and how to talk about some of the things that we're facing. We've, we've been having regular homeless encampments on the edge of our property for the last year in a nutshell. Um, she's also come to a few meetings with us and is able to just be that, that source of, it's not just us complaining about the homeless that are camping on the edge of our property, we're also helping, you know, it's, it's just that nice balance. Um, and of course, they're also a great advocate for us and what we do. So in addition to the award, they talk about the kids visiting the museum all the time in their e-newsletter. And they have an enormous, they raise half of their operating budget in one night. These people know how to fundraise. And we're talking $2 million in one night. Um, so the fact that they talk about us regularly, it's not a bad thing. Something's going to come out of that at some point. Um, so we have also gained additional experience working with early childhood learners. Um, we've been doing preschool programming for a long time, but it gives us more opportunities, and of course, they're gonna be heavily involved in the design of this play space that we'll be creating. Um, and then, really, it's the neighbor thing. Uh, we've really been an island in our neighborhood with no good solid partners at all. So even when that building was an elementary school, we. We could, it was really hard to work with them because DISD, again, whole other session topic, it's a challenge to work with them. So to have a neighbor is just a really wonderful thing. And I mean, it is such a thrill to be able to walk to a meeting. It's amazing. And you, we look out for each other and we work together. And it's just, it's a neighborly kind of thing. So lessons learned. Basic friendliness is really important. Um, several staff members have thanked us for being so kind and welcoming and neighborly, and I really feel like this is just a part of our organizational culture, but I also know that's not true of every nonprofit or every history museum, and I really think it should be. So that's just my little. Um, we work together on multiple levels, so partnerships are a lot stronger if it's not just top down or bottom up. So yeah, I got this going, but you know, my educator has a relationship with staff members I don't know. Our former development manager had a relationship with some of their staff members that I just don't have. So because we've got those multiple layers, it's a stronger partnership. And I'm almost out of time, I'm so sorry. Um, we are sharing our expertise. Um, in addition to sharing our various educational strengths, I also look to them for their fundraising expertise. They are masters at this. And I'm hoping that one of these days, 
this is the big dream. We'll be able to work together on a fundraiser because I think it will go better than some of our other fundraisers. Um, they just do such a good job. And of course, they have these beautiful children that are homeless. I mean, that's, that's a big warm fuzzy. And finally, sometimes free is worth it. Um, the steampunk event really was a business decision for us to enter into that, but both entering into the relationship and of course ending it. But this, there's so much more feeds into this. So, you know, it's up to you on when you do partnerships for free and when you've got to charge. But I think it's important to really make those distinctions before you get burned. Um, so this is definitely a mission supporting thing. They pay direct staff costs if we have to bring somebody in special for a field trip. But other than that, we're still doing this for free. And I think that's fine because we're getting more out of it. So we have like two minutes for questions. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but does anybody have, I mean, obviously we are willing to talk to you afterwards. I think we all have cards and all that. I see one hand in the back. So I'd love to know if other people in the um, audience have experience with sort of other alternative history groups like steampunk because we all know there are a lot out there. I mean, and there are, there are the groups that go to, you know, and they camp out for the entire weekend and they make up history games and they have all their costumes and then there are much more, not necessarily history related, but there are furries, there are all sorts of special <laughs> interest groups. And I'm wondering if anybody's had any successful experiences in sort of giving over their property to that kind of event and partnership. I will say that Carrie Taylor in Providence, Rhode Island at the Governor Lippitt House is um, having good luck with steampunk. And I think this is just a personality issue. I think her people are not crazy, and mine were. So. Our museum's haunted, so we work with a lot of yeah. paranormal groups. Okay. We do, too. I mean, I don't know if we're really haunted, but <laughs> I hope not. I'm in there alone all the time. But we let, it, we let them in. Sometimes we have them pay a fee. Sometimes we don't. We get great media coverage, and they're there at night. We're not open anyways. So. Any other quick questions I mean obviously we are more than willing to talk to you afterwards you should have evaluations you can fill them out that would be amazing all right thank you everybody thank you, thank you guys thanks for joining us in the morning